The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. Uh, This is a celebration text, Genesis 21. As God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham and Sarah by giving them Isaac. We live in a world that's used to broken promises. We live among people that break their promises. That's what we do. But God doesn't do that. You see, God makes promises and he keeps them. In 1897, Charles Parsons wanted to meet George Mueller, the man that God had used to bless and to provide for countless thousands of orphans. And Mueller received him cordially into his study, and they sat down and they began to talk. And Parsons asked him what was the secret of his success. Mueller's answer is straightforward. The secret was entrusting the faithfulness of God to his promises. God makes promises and God keeps them. Mueller took those promises at face value. Parsons asked, you have always found the Lord faithful to his promises? Mueller answered, always. He has never failed me. For nearly 70 years, every need in connection with this work has been supplied. The orphans from the first until now have numbered 9,500, but they have never lacked a meal. Never. Hundreds of times we have commenced the day without a penny in hand, but our Heavenly Father has sent supplies by the moment that they were actually required. There never was a time when there was no wholesome meal. During all these years, I have been enabled to trust in God, in the living God, and in Him alone. One million four hundred thousand pounds have been sent to me in answer to prayer, as I trusted in the promises of God. Now, Mueller's life verse, Psalm 81.10, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. He went and brought that promise to God daily and said, Here it is, Lord. And as one Puritan said, show him his writing. He's fond of his handwriting. So we take the promises of God and we say, look, you said this. This is the thing you promised to do. Show him his handwriting. He's fond of it. He likes to look at it. And he is always faithful to keep it. Now, we do not keep our promises. Because the scripture says in Psalm 116, verse 11, all men are liars. And it is true. We break our promises. But God never does. And as we look at this text, we see the promises concerning Isaac fulfilled. And in the next section after it, the promises concerning Ishmael also fulfilled. This is a story of promises kept concerning Isaac and concerning Ishmael. But they are very different promises. The promises made to Isaac are different than those that were made to Ishmael. They are different. And we're going to see that today. Now, in verses 1 through 8, at last, God has finally kept his promise. And the fact that God did as he had promised is strongly emphasized in the text. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Do you not see the emphasis there? As he had said what he had promised. Verse 2. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. That's the third time now in two verses. Clearly God is emphasizing this fact. I keep my promises. The thing I said I would do, I have now done. 
Now, God had made many promises concerning Isaac and concerning Abraham's offspring. You remember back in Genesis 12, at the very beginning, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. There it is. That's the first time. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then again, a few verses later in Genesis 12, 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. That's the second time. And then again in Genesis 13, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. That's the third time. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring can be counted. And then the beautiful promise in Genesis 15, in which Abraham said, Lord, what can you give me? Because I have no child, and Eliezer of Damascus is my heir. And then the Lord made him promise, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And then he took him out, and he had him look up at the stars. He said, look up at the heavens. And count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he made him a promise. So shall your offspring be. And then again in Genesis 17, 16, getting more specific now, after the occasion with Hagar and Ishmael, in which Abraham had taken matters into his own hands and had had a son Ishmael by Hagar. More on that in a moment. But uh, God re-clarified and focused. No, it's on Sarah that my promise is focused Genesis 17:16 I will bless Sarah and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. And then again in 17:19 God said, "Your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him." And then again in 1721, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And then again in Genesis 18.10, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And when Sarah overheard that and began laughing, the Lord said, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And then, God speaking concerning Sodom and Gomorrah and revealing his will to Abraham said this about Abraham. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. By doing what is right and just. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. That is ten texts. Ten different passages in which God made the same promise again and again. And now at last, God gets to say triumphantly, The Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. The Lord brought about a son for for Abraham in his old age, just as he had promised. He gets to tell us three times in two verses, I did what I promised. And in this way, their faith was vindicated. You see, God's promise overcomes all obstacles. You remember what it says in Romans 4. Abraham, who believed the Lord and trusted in his promise, he considered the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. 
and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. His faith was vindicated. So also was Sarah's faith vindicated. In Hebrews 11.11 it says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so both Abraham and Sarah were trusting in God for this promise, and their faith was vindicated. Now the issue here was not biology. It was theology. God had closed up Sarah's womb. He had purposefully kept it barren for 90 years. And the reason was that he wanted to bring about a supernatural child of the promise. He wanted to do a miracle. And so it was not uh, in vitro fertilization. It was not uh, certain wonder drugs that produce quintuplets or any of the kind of things that we uh, see today. It was not a matter of biology, not at all. This was a supernatural act of God himself. This was a miracle baby. This was Isaac. The timeless lesson is plain. God can do anything. Our God can do anything. There is nothing he cannot do. He is a powerful God. He is a sovereign king. And what he has promised, he will most certainly bring to pass. Now, why does this matter for you and me? Well, someday we're going to die. And when I put my head down on the pillow the last time, or if I'm taken some other way, not so peacefully, when I breathe my last breath on this earth, I will do so trusting in a promise that God made to me, that he will raise me from the dead. Trusting in a promise that he made to me in Christ, that all my sins are forgiven, and that my life is not now over. That my body is not all there is. That evolution is a lie. That I will live even after I've taken my last breath. I believe that promise. And that's why Genesis 21 is written for. For you and me to trust in the promises of God that he will raise us from the dead. Romans 4.17 As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father. Talking about Abraham. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. God speaks into nothing and he creates. In this case, he created a baby. He created miracle Isaac. And then, as a result, in a dim reflection of God's faithfulness, Abraham was faithful. He obeyed God's command to circumcise his son. Look at verse 4. It says, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. And so, Abraham was faithful to his promise as well. And so it is that the children of God respond. We want to be God-like. We want to keep our word, don't we? And so he had promised to obey God's commands. And one of the commands was circumcision on the eighth day. And so he circumcised his son. And then you see in verses 6 through 8 the joy and wonder and celebration at God's victory. Look at it in verse 6. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. You see, Isaac's name means laughter. It was a celebration. It was a time of joy. Now, this laughter is not a mocking laughter. It's not the laughter of unbelief that Sarah gave when she laughed and heard God's promise. It wasn't that kind of laughter. Nor was it the mocking laughter that we'll hear later in this text with Ishmael 
when Ishmael mocked Isaac. We'll talk about that in a moment. No, this was a laugh of joy. This is the laugh that we will laugh when we see Christ face to face. It's a laugh of celebration. That's what this was. Sarah also reacted in wonder at the details. You know, there's details in the fulfillment. And so look at verse 7. She said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So she's in, in amazement that there she is nursing a little boy at age 90. It's an incredible thing. Now in the text, and I'm finding in real life, the children grow quickly, don't they? I mean, whoosh. And pretty soon, it's time for him to be weaned. And that's a kind of a mixed thing, isn't it? It's, it's part of the, of, the, of the joy and the pain of parenting. That you are preparing them to be independent of you. You're getting them ready to not need you anymore. You don't want your kids around when they're 70 and you're 90, okay? Wondering, you know, what's for dinner, mom? You know, by then they should be on their own. They should be, and so that's good parenting. You're preparing them to be independent. But it hurts when they make those steps more and more away from you, doesn't it? It's kind of a mixture. And this is the very thing that's happened. But Abraham, he gives a feast. They celebrate the little boy as he's weaned. He put on a big feast. In verse 8, the child grew and was weaned. And on the day that Isaac was weaned, uh, Abraham held a great feast. But that feast was the occasion of a danger being uncovered. And the danger was Ishmael. Because at that feast, Ishmael, probably 15 years old at that point, mocked the little boy. He laughed at him. He made fun of him. It was a mocking laughter. It wasn't a laughter of joy. It wasn't a laughter of faith. It wasn't a laughter of celebration at God's faithfulness. It was a mocking laugh. No question about it. And so in verses 9 through 21, we have the account of the expulsion of Ishmael. It says there, Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. So the expulsion of Ishmael comes at, it, at us and it's rather shocking in one sense. Now who was this boy Ishmael? Well, Ishmael was the son of Abraham and Sarah's maidservant Hagar. When Sarah saw that she could not have children, her womb was barren, she did what they did in, in the custom of the day. And she took her maidservant and she gave the maidservant to her husband. And he uh, slept with her and she became pregnant. And she gave birth to a son, Ishmael. The whole story is told in Genesis 16. This was not uh, the will of the Lord. It did not follow God's pattern for marriage. And it caused nothing but trouble. And in Genesis 16, 9 through 12, after Hagar had run away from Sarah, Sarah was treating Hagar very harshly, she ran away and she didn't want to go back, but the angel of the Lord appeared to her and commanded her to return to Sarah and submit to her. And then he made some promises concerning Ishmael. The angel said, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. God also spoke two prophecies concerning Ishmael to Abraham. Now, this is in Genesis 17. You remember when God uh, made it clear that it would be through Sarah 
All right, after Genesis 16, he's going to make it clear. No, it's through Sarah that the child of promise will be born. You will name him Isaac. It's going to be Sarah. At that moment, immediately, and I think this is so important for our text today, Abraham's first thought is, what about Ishmael? What, what about Ishmael? What, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing, too. And so he's concerned for his son. And in Genesis 17, 19, God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Very, very clear prophecies that God makes concerning Ishmael to Abraham and also to Hagar. Well then, why was Ishmael cast out? Well, it seems to me that there are five reasons, as I look at the text, why Ishmael was cast out. First and simply because he mocked. He laughed. That's the reason given in the text. Verse 9. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. The mocking here uh, is not connected to Isaac's name, even though Isaac's name means laughter. It's not a play on words. It's ridicule. Actually, the Apostle Paul, later in Galatians 4, calls it persecution. In Galatians 4.29, the Apostle Paul said, At that time, the son born in the ordinary way, that's Ishmael, persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. And so this was a serious matter. By this time, Ishmael would have been 15 years old, and he was laughing at little Isaac's weaning feast making fun of it, mocking. Secondly, Ishmael was cast out because Sarah wanted him out, and Sarah wanted Hagar out. Sarah perceived a threat to Isaac, a threat also to her own position in the family. And Sarah, like many mothers at that time, derived her significance from the role of her son as heir. She saw what things would be like down the road. And so Sarah was furious when she heard about this mockery, and she went to Abraham. Verse 10, she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. Note that Sarah does not use Hagar's name, but denigrates her position entirely. That slave woman and her son, she says. She also believed the clear statement that God had made to Abraham in Genesis 17. That slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The third reason was the threat that he posed to Isaac's role as heir. Now, some things you have to nip in the bud. I was reading recently in Technology Review Magazine, MIT's just review of, of ongoing technology, and I find interesting things there. They're always kind of coming up with new things. But one thing I found very fascinating, read about it recently, was uh, cancer detection at a very early stage. They're able to detect it through certain technologies um, far earlier than they ever could before at the molecular level and tag these cancer cells before they even accumulate into a tumor. And you can imagine how powerful this would be for treatment, especially if the detection could be done inexpensively. And so this is what the article uh, was about. The issue is that tumors are best caught early. The earlier you can get the cancer, the better. Well, I believe that Ishmael was a cancer in the household waiting to happen. And the issue would have been a rivalry over the succession to the throne, so to speak. Who's going to be the heir? Ishmael, being so much older than Isaac, perhaps would have had some kind of an advantage. 
The history of Europe, for example, is a history of wars of succession. One son claiming and then the other son claiming. They both get their armies together and they fight a war over it. It's not good for the country. Alexander Dumas' classic, The Man in the Iron Mask, is about this. Louis XIV had, uh, 14th in the story had twin sons. They looked identical. And when they grew to a certain age, one of them was taken away, who actually was the rightful heir, and was put in a hideous iron mask so that nobody could look at his face and see who he was. All of this to prevent a civil war in France that would have destroyed the country. And so, I think in the same way, Ishmael was a threat to Isaac. And uh, he blurred the distinction of who it was through whom the covenant would be made and the promise would come. Fourthly, I think it's because Abraham needed it done. I actually think that such a thing would have happened because of the affection that Abraham had for Ishmael. Remember what I told you in Genesis 17. After the promise comes concerning Sarah and Isaac, wonderful good news which is fulfilled here in this chapter, Abraham's first instinctive reaction is, well, wait a minute, what about Ishmael? That's a problem, folks. Very significant problem. And God wanted clarity on this matter. Do you remember in the incredible passage in the next chapter... Genesis 22, when God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son. Do you remember what he said? Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice. That's God's word to Abraham. That's remarkable. Did God forget Ishmael? No, never he didn't forget Ishmael. We'll see that in a moment. But clearly it was going to be through Isaac, and Abraham was not crystal clear on that. Some clarity needed to happen. And probably the number one reason why Ishmael was cast out is because God commanded it. That's the number one reason. Look what it says in verse 12. But God said to him, Do not be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So whatever Sarah's motives were, whatever was going on in Abraham's heart, all of that is secondary to the clear fact God wanted it done. And so he cast Uh, Ishmael out. Abraham obeyed. And he obeyed immediately. Look at verse 14. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. In effect, God was saying, from this point forward, let me take care of Ishmael. He's no longer your responsibility. I will be a father to the fatherless. I will care for him. Now, how did God provide for Ishmael and Hagar? Well, the harshness of the desert is certain death if there is not provision. If you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know where to go, if you have a little one like in this case, uh, it it can be deadly. There's sweltering heat, hidden canyons, very cold nights because the sand absorbs so little heat. There are wild beasts, there are poisonous snakes. It's a dangerous place. Hagar took her teenage son as far as they could go and she lay him under a tree and she went off a distance, it says, of about a bow shot, in my opinion, so that she wouldn't have to listen to him crying. And isn't it remarkable that the mother is so far away she can't hear the son, but here's the son, his name is Ishmael, and God hears. God hears the boy crying. Look what it says in verse 17 through 19. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. And he said to her, what's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. That's twice in the same verse. God hears. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. That's a promise. 
I will make him into a great nation. Verse 19, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And so she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. What was life to Hagar and Ishmael in the desert was the word of God. That's what was life. Before the word came, they were dying, both of them. When God spoke to Hagar, when Hagar believed the word, life came. And again, with that word came the promise concerning Ishmael. I'm going to make him into a great nation. He's got a, he's got a future. He's not going to die today. And the picture of God's faithfulness, even when Hagar has left him and gone off. His father has left him, has in fact sent him out at the command of God. And so here's this boy, it seems, without father, without mother. But God hears, God sees, God knows. And so it says in Psalm 27.10, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And so it says in Isaiah 49.15, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you, says the Lord. That's the faithfulness of God. And he was faithful to the promise he made to Ishmael. And so he respoke his promise to Abraham and Hagar. Multiple promises he had made in the past. Genesis 16.10, what had been spoken to Hagar, I will so increase your descendants that they'll be too numerous to count. That's what God said to Hagar. And he will be a wild donkey of a man living in the desert. And he will be the father of 12 nations of desert-dwelling tribes. And God had said to Abraham... As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless you and make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. And it's reiterated here to both father and mother. Look at verse 13. He says to Father Abraham, concerning Ishmael, I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. I care about him. I will do it. It's something you can't do anymore, Abraham. You must send him off. But I will do this. I will be faithful to my promise to Ishmael. And concerning Hagar, verse 18, lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And here we see promises kept. But now I want to highlight how different they are from Isaac's promises. You see, Abraham was told that he would have descendants as numerous as the dust of the earth and as the stars of the sky. I consider this a paradigm for the two types of descendants of Abraham. There are the dusty descendants, and then there are the celestial or starry descendants. The dusty descendants have dusty blessings and dusty uh, futures. The starry descendants have starry promises, starry blessings, and starry futures. Ishmael was a child of the dust, and Isaac, a child of the starry promise. Ishmael, what was his future? Well, he's going to roam free like a wild donkey. He's going to live out in the desert. His mother's going to find a wife for him from Egypt. That's, that was her homeland. And maybe she met a girl there who was pretty. And he married her. And uh, he got to be very good with a bow and arrow. He's a skillful archer. He had 12 sons. He enjoyed eating goat meat around a fire and sitting down with his sons and laughing and telling jokes and shooting his arrow and living a dusty kind of life. He was a wild donkey of a man, and that was the future. And every one of those good things were blessings from God. For God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And even though he's a dusty person and has dusty blessings, every one of those dusty blessings comes from God himself. But Isaac, he had celestial blessings waiting for him. He was going to sit at the table with God eternally. He was going to sit in the very presence of God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the feast and the kingdom. That was his future. And so it says concerning the starry descendants of Abraham. 
Daniel 12.3, it says, Those who are wise will shine like the, like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever. Or it says in Philippians 2.15, So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe. Or like Jesus said after one of his parables, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And so you see that Abraham had dusty descendants and he had starry descendants. Now, New Testament gives us the significance of this. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians 4. And we'll see how the Apostle Paul applies this story. Now, while you're turning, by way of context, the Apostle Paul planted a church in Galatia. These were Gentiles. They would have been rejected by the physical descendants of Abraham. But as I told you, not every physical descendant from Abraham is one of the starry children. And isn't it amazing that Gentiles can become starry children of Abraham by faith? Isn't that wonderful? By faith in Christ, we can become among those that are starry children of Abraham, while those who are actually physically descended from Abraham, even if they're Jews, who do not believe the promise are dusty. And so what ends up happening here is that he plants a church in Galatia, he preaches the gospel of God's grace in Christ, and then along comes the Judaizer party. And they come to Galatia and they begin saying, unless you obey meticulously the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. The Apostle Paul says that gospel that they're preaching is no gospel at all. And even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let us or let him be eternally condemned. That's how serious this was. Very serious matter. Now he gets to the crux of the matter in chapter 4. Look what he says. Chapter 4, verse 4. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you an heir. Isn't that beautiful? He's saying, Galatian Christians, that's what you are. You are children of God by faith. You are heirs of the kingdom. Why would you want to live like a slave? That's his point in Galatians 4. But he makes it with an allegory. Look at verse 21 and following. This is Galatians 4, 21. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Note that he calls Genesis 21 the law. Very interesting there. What the law says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. Now, these things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac are children of promise. Do you see what he's saying? You're Isaac. All of you who have trusted in Christ, you're the children of promise. You, brethren, you, like Isaac, you are children of promise. 
At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. Those Judaizers are coming. They are speaking against the gospel of free grace. They're speaking legalism. They're speaking slavery. They're not speaking adoption. They're not speaking inheritance. They're speaking a, a lie. And isn't it funny how the child, the dusty child back then, the child born in the ordinary way, persecuted the child born by the power of the Spirit. So it is today. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Let me make it very straightforward and simple. There are two ways to live in this world. You can live a dusty life or a life of celestial blessings. You can live like the dust or like the stars. You can be like Ishmael, a child born in the ordinary way. Or you can be like Isaac, a child born only by the power of the Spirit. There are only two ways to live. There's the Ishmael life and there's the Isaac life. Later, the analogy be Jacob and Esau. It's the same thing. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. And what do the dusty people live for? They live for earthly blessings. They live for comforts. They live for lusts. They live for power. They live for money. They live for today. Let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And we can add biblically and go to hell. That's what they live for. It's an earthy life. It's a life that ends in destruction. That's the life of Ishmael, the dusty life. Or you can live as a child of the promise. You can live as an adopted son or daughter of God. You can trust in the promises of God and know that what is happening in you cannot be explained normally. It's supernatural. It's the power of the Spirit. As Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh. But the Spirit, He gives birth to Spirit. You must be born again, Nicodemus. And so, if you are just a physical descendant of Abraham, even if you are a Jew, even if you're descended physically from Jacob, it doesn't matter. What matters is, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You've got to be like Isaac, a child born only by the supernatural power of God. Now, in Galatians 5, he goes on and just explains what that life is like. The life in the flesh is characterized by dissensions and factions and jealousy and lust and witchcraft and idolatry. That's that life. That's the Ishmael life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This is the Spirit-filled life. And those who live like that, God will make them perfect in the end. Now, by application, can I ask you, which kind of life are you living? Are you more like Ishmael or are you more like Isaac? Are you bound for the dust because dust represents death? Remember that God said to Adam... Dust you are, and to dust you will return. Is that your future, dust in the grave? Or is it to be made like the stars of the sky? Is it to be conformed to the glory of God? Which is it? Do you know that the whole issue is whether you believe the promise of God or not? That's the whole thing. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited him as righteousness. If you simply believe the promise... I want to give you one promise that Jesus spoke, that I treasure... I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked Martha, do you believe this? That question determines your destiny. 
If you say, yes, Lord, I believe the promises of God. I trust in you. You have resurrecting power. You can call dead things to life. You can create in me something that wasn't there before. I believe you. I can be transformed by the power of the Spirit. Then you'll spend eternity with God in heaven, not by your own strength or power, not by obeying legalistically a bunch of laws and rules and regulations, but by the power of the Spirit. He who began a good work in you by the Spirit, he will most certainly complete it also by the Spirit. And you will be like Isaac, a child of promise. That's the central application. Trust in Christ. Believe in Him. Celebrate what He has accomplished in Christ. And like George Mueller, can I ask you to step out in faith on some promises of God? What what promises of God are you trusting in concerning the kingdom of God today? Are you trusting in God for anything today? So that God must be faithful to a promise, or in Mueller's case, some orphans don't eat. Are you stepping out in faith to trust God for some promises? Are you believing in Him? I stand before you today as a messenger of promises, but also as a believer of them. I love the promises of God. That's my only hope, and it's your only hope too. Trust in His promises. He's a faithful, promise-keeping God. Close with me in prayer. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.